May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. She'd been waiting here by the Sea of Galilee for days, waiting for her chance. Hardly any left of the few coins she had brought in her pouch. Feeling the familiar weakness and exhaustion settle heavily onto her shoulders each time she failed. And the looks she got from those around the teacher were even harder to bear than her bone-deep tiredness. She knew she was taking a huge risk. She knew she had no business being out among people in her condition. There was a very real chance that she would accidentally touch someone in the crowd. But this was her last chance. Nothing else had worked. She took a deep breath and struggled into the crowd again. The amazing story of healing in Mark 5 is usually referred to as the woman with the hemorrhage or the woman with the flow of blood. Mark only mentions the woman's ailment briefly, telling his readers that the woman had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. According to the purity laws of Israel, recorded in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, a woman was considered infectious as far as ritual cleanliness was concerned for the duration of her period and for seven days afterward. Normal social interaction was prohibited during this time as well as normal intimate interaction with her husband. Anyone who came into contact with the woman or with any of her seats or bedding was considered unclean as well and had to go through a ritual of purification before rejoining any religious or social activity. If the woman in Mark 5 had been suffering from a constant flow of blood for 12 years, this means that for 12 years she had been prevented from social or intimate contact with her family and community. Further, her menorrhagia would have rendered her infertile unable to conceive and bear children. In her culture, this deficiency would make her an object of scorn and pity. Even as her physical strength and vitality drained away with the bright red stains, so her joy and comfort in connecting with her community disappeared as well. Crouching down to avoid notice, she reached as far into the crowd as she could. She was almost knocked off her feet twice by the callous disregard of the others in the crowd. And then she felt the brush of rough linen cloth across her outstretched fingertips. Suddenly, a large man trying to reach the teacher stepped on her foot and nearly tripped. Wretched woman, he growled, aiming a half-hearted kick at her. She drew her cloak around her face, and she scuttled toward the edge of the crowd. Then she became aware of a sensation of strength deep inside. It stopped. I'm healed, she whispered to herself. 
crouching by the edge of the dusty road, she let her relief and wonder flow in salty tracks down her cheeks. Most healing stories end here, with the restoration of physical health. But this one doesn't. The problem is that the action this woman had taken to find healing for herself had put her outside the pale of acceptable social behavior in first century Palestine. Women, let alone ritually unclean women, didn't just go waltzing around the countryside after a traveling rabbi. Respectable women were always under the protection of an adult male, their father, their husband, or their oldest son. But the really big transgression was when she touched Jesus. Not only was it completely inappropriate for her to touch an unrelated male in a public place, it was actually considered a challenge to the honor of the man. The man was then expected to issue a harsh rebuke to regain his honor in the eyes of the people who witnessed the challenge. She barely had time to absorb the wondrous reality of the healing before a voice rose above the noise of the crowd. His voice. Who touched me? Those standing closest to the teacher moved away slightly. Then he stopped walking and looked around. I said, who touched me? One of the men standing near him thought he was joking. He answered, teacher, look around you. I'm afraid it will be pretty hard to pinpoint who touched you in this crowd. But the teacher remained where he stood, as if searching for the offender. How did he know? Surely he couldn't have felt her fingertips brush the hem of his robe. She would just stay still and hope that the crowd would move along. She risked a quick glance in his direction. He was looking straight at her so much for melting away into the crowd unnoticed. Maybe if she knelt at his feet and pleaded with him, he would not be angry. She stumbled toward him, and before she knew it, she was pouring out her whole story to him. When it was over, she waited in the dust for his harsh rebuke. Instead, she felt gentle hands on her shoulders. Raising her to face him, the teacher looked into her eyes. Daughter, he said. Mark tells us that just as the woman was immediately aware of her healing, Jesus was immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him. Jesus knew that the woman had touched him. But instead of ignoring her, or even reprimanding her, as first century culture expected, Jesus reached out to her. He healed her body with his touch, and he healed her isolation from others with his word, daughter. By calling her daughter, Jesus publicly announced that he was her protector. By drawing her under his protection, Jesus removed the social stigma the woman had earned by being independent, by endangering others with her uncleanness and by touching him. Her actions were now covered by Jesus' own honor. Because he refused to condemn her or her actions, she was no longer an outsider. Daughter, 
The word echoed in her mind and in her heart as she looked up into the kind face of the teacher. Surely he would dismiss her now. But his hands did not move from her shoulders. Daughter, he said again, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Somehow the mysterious longing inside her that had grown stronger for 12 years, even as her body grew weaker, somehow it was quiet now, fulfilled. Faith, is that what had drawn her to him? There were many traveling healers in Palestine. Was it her faith that had brought her to Galilee, hoping for his touch? Go in peace, he said. The woman thought she could touch Jesus and turn away, unnoticed and unnamed. Instead, the lightest brush of her fingers caught his full attention and compassion, and he insisted on a personal encounter with her, not to shame or punish her, but to complete her healing by drawing her into relationship with him. The woman in Mark 5 brought her whole self to Jesus, told him her whole story, and he restored her to wholeness. In our 21st century world, physical and mental illness can still result in isolation, rejection, and judgment. For example, drug and alcohol addiction brings with it social stigma and the resulting lack of effective and affordable treatment and rehabilitation options. Nearly 60% of persons in substance abuse rehab programs suffer from the effects of emotional and physical trauma earlier in their lives. And yet their illness is usually labeled as a moral deficiency rather than real physical and emotional suffering. Sometimes illness comes in the form of broken relationships or an inability to see ourselves as God's created and beloved. We then impose self-exile, withdrawing from friends and spiritual supports, believing ourselves unworthy, unlovable. Writer Anne Lamott talks about a time in her life when she was addicted to alcohol and drugs and went through an abortion, and when she managed in her own way to touch the hem of Christ's robe and find healing. I went to St. Andrew's Church about once a month. No one tried to con me into sitting down or staying. I always left before the sermon. I loved singing even about Jesus, but I just didn't want to be preached at about him. To me, Jesus made about as much sense as Scientology or dousing. But the church smelled wonderful, like the air had nourishment in it, or like it was composed of these people's exhalations of warmth and faith and peace. I could sing better here than ever before. As part of these people, even though I stayed in the doorway, I did not recognize my voice or know where it was coming from, but sometimes I felt like I could sing forever. Something inside me that was stiff and rotting would feel soft and tender. 
Somehow the singing wore down all the boundaries and distinctions that kept me so isolated. A week later, when I went back to church, I was so hungover that I couldn't stand up for the songs. And this time I stayed for the sermon, which I just thought was so ridiculous, like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time, and I felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared kid. And I opened up to that feeling, and it washed over me. Lamott went on to enter recovery and was baptized at St. Andrew's Church a year later. As the stories of Anne Lamott and the woman and the girl in Mark 5 remind us, Christ's concern and compassion for us crosses all boundaries of social stigma and human disease. He calls us son or daughter and draws us in the into the community of his body where we can find healing from isolation and fellowship, relief from the judgment of others in the unconditional love of our brothers and sisters, and strength, hope, and renewal as we kneel side by side before the altar where bread and wine become spiritual food. Thanks be to God. <laughs>